Our scripture reading today is taken from Revelation chapter 14. Today we're reading from the contemporary English Bible, beginning with verse six. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with eternal good news to proclaim to those who live here on earth and to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second one, followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She made all the nations drink the wine of her hurtful passion. And then another angel, a third one, followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worship the beast in its image, receive a mark on their forehead or on their hands, they themselves will also drink the wine of God's passionate anger poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will suffer the gain of this fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their painful suffering goes up forever and always. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image and those who receive the mark of its name. This, all of this, calls for the patient endurance of the saints who keeps God's commandments and keep faith with Jesus. The word of God. You can be seated. Before almost anything else distinctively Adventist, before sanitariums and a health message, before um, being vegetarian, come on, a few of us are, before the Sabbath, before Sabbath music and Sabbath clothes and baths before sundown, before the name Seventh-day Adventist, before almost anything else Adventist, we have these three angels. These three angels we have to deal with. The church where I grew up, the angels were on the wall. They used to be on the wall here. You can find them on the wall many places where you go where we know Adventists abide inside these buildings, right? I remember years ago doing Bible studies with a young mother here, years and years ago now. She came from another faith tradition. In her tradition, she said the sanctuary was beautiful and she looked around and said to me, why are your walls all white? Where are the beautiful things? And I said, well, a little different here. There's nothing on your walls except for those three angels. How did they make the cut? And at that time, there were three angels hanging on the wall. Oh, we can't have Jesus and the cross? We can't have a crucifix? But you can have three angels, she asked me. Could you please explain that to me? Before almost anything else Adventist, we have these three angels that we just now read about together. The three angels of Revelation 14. Now, this morning, I'm going to ask you a couple of separate questions. This is the time we're pulling our phones out. 90% of us have them out already. We're ready to go. We're gonna take a poll, all of us together. So get your phone out and the instructions are simple. They'll be on the screen and if you didn't have a phone or you don't wanna participate, I can ask you to raise your hand and we'll add your numbers in. Follow the prompts on the screen. You're going to this website, www.slido, S-L-I-D-O, slido.com. 
When you get there, there'll be a code to enter. The code is easy, La Sierra. Slido.com and enter the code La Sierra. It's one question. You don't have multiple choice, it's one question. I'm asking each of you to reflect and answer how important is Revelation 14 in your identity? Not your parents or your grandparents. Not what you think you're teaching to our children or grandchildren. How important is it to your identity as an Adventist Christian? You have some choices when you go to slido.com. You can say, it's not important. It's somewhat important. I'm neutral. It's very important. Extremely is the highest rating you could give this question. Does it make sense? How important, and we're gonna watch in real time the answers here. Oh, we are all over the map, church. Isn't it beautiful? And as we're answering and logging in, you each are choosing. It's not somewhat neutral. Neutral is the highest right now, 26%, that middle column. Oh, we're tied. Now we're not. There's 130 of us so far who have answered and it'll keep moving for a minute. How important is Revelation 14 to your identity? Neutral. Those of you who didn't have a phone, do you wanna say neutral? Those of you who didn't have a phone, do you wanna say very extremely? Mm-hmm. We are right in the middle, we're somewhat neutral. We're about 30% of us are neutral, although it's moving back and forth. How important is Revelation 14 to you? It turns out that it doesn't really matter what a denomination tells us should be important. We make decisions, right? We make decisions about which texts will guide our lives and our experience. It turns out that uh, we're kind of split on this question. I wanna take it off the screen so it won't distract us, but hang on to the numbers. Because we're taking our own survey this morning, right? I, I don't know how to answer this question for our congregation. The three messengers fly with a warning about a struggle that's taking place on earth, and earth cannot see what heaven knows. That's what's going on in Revelation 14. The angels know something that the people on earth can't possibly know. Revelation is an uncovering, a revealing, a lifting of the veil, making something transparent. Telling the truth is another way to say it. The three messengers have a warning. They wanna tell the truth about something. It's John, we think, who's giving us this vision. He's an old man now, and he's on an island that doesn't measure more than eight by four miles in diameter and in length, he's 14 miles from the closest to anything. It's a Greek island, but don't think, you know, cute Airbnb kind of thing. He's an old man, he's lost his sight. And he's had a dream, a visit from the divine. It's John who gives us the message in Revelation. It's John who helps us imagine what he's seen. He's laying in prison, remembering his past, imagining and very aware of his present and trying to see what would be coming up ahead in his future when he gets this dream. It's a dream like nothing else in our Bible except for the book of Daniel. Those of us raised in this tradition, we understand Daniel and Revelation are their own cup of something, something. So it's a dream like almost nothing else in the Bible. 
And the words and the words and the words just keep coming. John reaches for more words and more words. It's a picture and it's a poem and it's a prophecy all at once. And prophecy, by the way, simply means speaking for God. The scenes in John's vision swing dramatically. Just when we get settled with something happening on earth, we're told to look up above and and we see what's happening up above and there are sights and sounds and creatures and everything's in technicolor. It's magical and it's not all at the same time. Hard to stay focused when you read this dream, the book of Revelation. In this congregation, it's been decades now, we've reminded ourselves. This is the revelation of who? Yeah, we should know the answer to this. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, so we will not be afraid. There isn't anything about this revelation that ought to be owned by fear. It's the revelation of Jesus. That's old news for our particular congregation. These three uh, angels fly across the canvas of heavens and they shout their warning. They're uncovering something. What are they uncovering? It is evil. So while it's the revelation of Jesus, it's also the uncovering of evil, mass amounts of evil in God's good world. That's why the warning is urgent. This is not only or just simply somebody did a mean thing to me or somebody broke something of mine or gunshot broke out in the neighborhood. This is not only Grandma died, and we don't get her back. It's all of that, but it's massively more. It's every kind of evil and oppression we can imagine, and that that we haven't imagined. John's creatures warn us evil is on the loose in God's good story. Every kind of evil throughout all of history, all of it piled up together in this dream. So the angels cry with one continuous message. It's not three separate ones. That's my opinion, many scholars say that, I agree with them. One continuous message. And friends, this is an unveiling now about the truth of God because it is really God who's on trial in this letter, in this story, in this dream. It's really an unveiling about God. The accusation is that God is not who God says God is. God's not possibly that good. Love cannot be the solution to everything. God has tricked us. And evil has come to make that claim. The first angel says this. Tell the eternal gospel, fear God, give God glory because the hour of judgment has come. The eternal gospel, what is that? Well, Revelation likes to define its own things. So we might like to say that's that we're all sinners but now we're saved by grace, but actually it's a bigger gospel. Jesus is Lord, that's the gospel. The second angel says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon's a hot mess, it always has been. Everything that represents evil is wrapped up in Babylon. It's falling, it's coming down. And the third angel says, so if you're gonna be on the side of the beast, the beast is gonna fall too. Make a decision. The three angels. Last time we taught on this passage was two years ago. The name of the certain sermon was called But beasts, I didn't remember it. I ran into somebody a few weeks ago in another state who said to me, the greeting was simply, but beasts. I said, I don't know what we're talking about. No, a sermon. Yeah, the last time we talked about this in 2017. But beasts. Turns out we have trauma over this book. That's not news to us. 
In 2017, when we talked about it, I did not remember this little story, but I've looked it up now. Turns out that our former senior pastor, Dr. Lynn Mallory, this goes back a few years. Some of you were here when Lynn Mallory was our pastor. Look all the way to the right there. That's Lynn Mallory, circa 1966. Not when he was our pastor. This is Lynn around his ordination in Northern California. And about this time in the 60s, as a young pastor, Lynn's assignment during the evangelistic series, Janet tells me this story, his whole assignment was to sit behind the curtain in the tent and listen to the evangelist preach from Revelation. And when the evangelist called or named a certain beast, Lynn looked at the inventory of beasts behind the curtain, he picked up the right one and he ran to the front of the platform and held it up. So people could see. This is what we're talking about. And then the beast went behind the curtain and he waited for the next beast and he ran forward and his whole job, the inventory of beasts. We remember these kinds of meetings. It's why when we surveyed people in 2012, we're gonna do a series on Revelation, we couldn't find anybody under the age of 50 who wanted to hear that series. We asked 20-year-olds, we asked 30-year-olds, we asked 40-year-olds, we asked 50-year-olds, Heather, you remember this conversation. We polled people in 2012. Nobody, including nobody, really wanted to talk about Revelation. Why is that? A few weeks ago, I talked about this trauma, right? Theological trauma. I, I'm still taken by this idea, epigenetic, the, the theological epigenetic kind of trauma that we've got some theological trauma to work out of our system and maybe this is one of them, right? When we talked about this a couple years ago, it was Regina's story that we told. Regina, you gave me permission two years ago to talk about the time you were a fifth grader and your grandparents took you to camp meeting. And these are your words. They made me go to camp meeting and they made me go with the older people into a narrow room that had a large screen covering the front wall. I knew they were gonna watch a movie. I thought maybe the movie would, would make, me, make, uh, make up that I didn't get to play with my friends. It's gonna be fun. But the movie began, how it began and how it ended is a blur because all I can remember is the pictures of bleeding people. They were bleeding from their hands and their feet, and it was flashing across the screen. Crowds of people in the movie were crying and saying that they saw an image of Jesus in a window, and one man was preaching, and he was preaching that the world would end in 2012, and I was scared, and I was calculating, how old will I be in 2012? And will I know how to recognize false prophets and, prophets, and do I know my Bible well enough, and would my whole family get to go to heaven? On the two-hour drive back from home, my grandparents talked about how the world is becoming more sinful. And my grandfather said, the end is very near and you'll need to repent so you don't go to hell. Regina says, it's the scariest camp meeting I've ever been to. This is maybe why we don't talk about Revelation that often. But there are always some of us who want to hear it and they want to hear it again and again and again. And I'm curious about why do we want to hear it again and again and again? Is it because it's familiar? Many of us joined this particular brand of Christianity with the Revelation message. Is it because it's familiar? Like a, the first song that comes to your head in the morning. Is there something you just always sing? Javier, come join me. We want to hear from you. Is there something you always sing? Come on, we have a tenor right here. 
Is there something, if I ask Jill, is there a familiar song that always comes to the top of your head like that? Which one am I telling here? First one. The first one. What do you, do you? So the song that always comes to my mind, but this is something that I don't sing often in public because there are certain songs that you just have to sing in silence and you feel like they're yours, right? And this song is Jesus Led Me All The Way. It's an oldie. You don't hear it much in church, and the last time I sang it was a couple of months ago, but I don't really sing it out loud because I just want that to be me and Jesus. Yeah. And you sing it in Spanish. And I learned it in Spanish, and it's meaningful to me. And you told me because it's so much more beautiful. Yes, the language, yeah, absolutely. Give us a few measures. Un día al cielo he de llegar, triunfante en Cristo he de entrar, y al llegar yo cantaré, Cristo mi piloto fue. I mean, that's meaningful to you because it's a story with your grandma and it reminds you and she's the one whose faith journey influences you. And so when you reach for that song, all of that comes together for Javier. All of that. What else comes, when you just, something comes to the top of your head, just a natural thing that you sing, what else comes out at home? So at home, I'm always loud. In fact, there are some times when I call Jill on the phone and Jill says, can you please take it down a notch because that's too loud. But that's... Those are tenors. There's, there's sopranos, altos, and then tenors are just on a league of their own. So Jill um, really loves the Four Seasons, and so do I. Um, and we listen to it a lot in the car. And there's a song, Sherry. You all know Sherry? Mm-hmm. Sherry. Great song. So she always you know, would tell me, is, well, Frankie Valley just has the most amazing voice. It can go so high, and it's so natural. So you know, as a tenor, you get a little competitive. And you go, well, I can do that. And so sometimes I'll break out. Sometimes it's not too good. Sometimes it's okay. But um, most of the time, that's four seasons is what we go to. Cause we I feel like you're going to sing it and I need to stand back. Because you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> See, did you hear what he said? He can't sing Frankie's at Valley here. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself or Frankie Valley. <laughs> All right, cool. Then we release you. <laughs> So you have a song, right? He has a song that comes, the familiar thing that comes to him. I was singing the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood song this morning. It's a beautiful day. Na, 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 na. Pastor Bev and I were in the office earlier, and what was it? Raindrops on roses. Na, 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 na. I was humming, and she came in and said, oh, that's so pleasant. It's familiar, right? It's familiar. Is that why we reach for revelation? Maybe Daniel too. It's familiar. We know we, we we're grounded and centered, and even if we don't understand it all, even if it scares us, at least it's familiar. Do we reach for it because it's meaningful? Like Javier, when he sings this first song that comes to mind that reminds him of his grandmother, we reach for revelation because it actually means something to us. Do we reach for it because we wish it would mean something to us? Do we reach for it because we actually want to have a faithful testimony all the way to the end? Do we reach for these words because we have a true desire to be distinct? I was raised in that Adventist message, that we are distinct and peculiar and remnant people. I don't know anybody else 
conversant in revelation. That's distinct. Earliest Adventist Christians Church, they wrestled with these three angels. They pick up this idea in America and other parts of the world because we're agitated. We're spiritually agitated, not unlike the world we live in today, in my opinion. We study history, mid-19th century, don't go to sleep now. If we did study history, we're not, we would, we would know that there was a spiritual itching in the country during that time, and what, we were not alone, the Methodists and the Baptists and the Congregationalists, and we were not alone in America, because you could move around the globe in Europe and South America and the Middle East, and especially England, and people are writing tracts, and they're feeling antsy, and they think maybe the world is coming to an end, or maybe they've missed something and there's more. In Sweden, Adults were not allowed to preach and teach without the approval from the government of what the sermon would be. So in Sweden, the way they handled this angst during the Great Awakening was to put their children up front and have their children preach. So it is that child preaching became very common and the doctors actually called it the sickness, uh, the preaching sickness. A child would preach for an hour and then kind of collapse and play with their toys for an hour, and then they would stand up and preach again. What are they preaching? Revelation 14. We're not alone in our desire to reach for the dream from the end of the Bible. So this man, William Miller, he's not so strange. He has company all around the world. He can't make sense of his life when he reaches for Revelation. By the way, William Miller is a veteran. He's fought in the army. He's fought for the United States in the War of 1812. Where are you this morning, veterans? We know you're here. Where are you? Would you stand for a moment? Thank you. Thank you. So maybe William Miller's experience will ring true for you because he's come through a horrible battle. The British have attacked by water, the Navy, and missiles flying, rockets flying. He calls them rockets flying through the air. Some explode right next to him and his buddies are killed and the U.S. troops lose that battle. And William Miller leaves the armed services and goes home traumatized trying to make sense of what he saw in war, trying to make sense if that's happening in the world, where is God, and if God is actually active in the world, why that, and, and why did I survive and other people die? And in the middle of all of that, William Miller grabs his Bible, and he tells people later, I found a Jesus who loved me, and I found a God who loved me. But that was only the beginning because he kept his Bible open for 13 more years and he wouldn't actually start talking about these visions from Daniel and Revelation for 13 more years while he had his Bible open and he studied and he studied and he studied. This is where the angels came to us. This is our history and our story. Last week when Pastor Raywin was speaking and she talked about the fact that we're lifelong learners, it's, you see that when you look at the life of William Miller and all those who came after him. And when they open this passage, they see themselves in the text because Revelation 14 talks about creation and it talks about worship and it talks about keeping the Sabbath and it talks about salvation and they could see themselves right in the text while the world was broken and melting all around them. So there's urgency, there's so much urgency. 
We're 175 years later, and this is what I often hear from people, well, there's just no urgency today. It's old news. We don't talk about the three angels anymore. We've had a few weeks, church family, of talking honestly about what it is to tell a better story, our Christian faith that in our faith communities that we're naming, we're having a little bit of an identity crisis, specifically in Adventist Christianity, we're most familiar with that, so I'll leave it to Adventist Christianity. Maybe it's just our denomination, maybe it's apathy on our part, maybe it's frustration or exhaustion, maybe we're looking for simpler options, I don't know, I kinda want church to be easy. In the Sabbath school class we were in this morning, that's what we talked about. If we wanted to open the Bible like William Miller, that's not an easy Sabbath morning. It's not an easy like a Sunday morning. Maybe we want easy or we want nice church. I want nice people and attractive people and fun people and I wanna eat pancakes the students cooked for us this morning, right? Amen. Wanna have a little bite and I wanna come in here and laugh and feel good and hear a nice organ and choir and let's go home. Some people say we sound less and less Adventist as time moves on. Why don't we talk about those three angels and who took them away and pastor, why don't you talk about them? Those three angels, yep, see we couldn't even keep that old logo, that old logo is gone, this is the new logo for the denomination. People look at that logo and they say, yeah, if you invert it and you put it on its side and you hold a flashlight on it and sprinkle pixie dust, it's the Illuminati. If you read online the critique of the new logo a few years ago when they rolled this out, because why? Where are the angels? You took away our angels. Ah, but if you listen to corporate office, they say, no, they're there. Imagine a globe in the middle. The world is in the middle of those flames. There's three. See those three flames moving around? Those are the three angels. Oh, the critics were harsh on this one. Give us back our angels. Who took our angels? If it's not the logo, then we have other things we complain about. Who took our angels? The bushes at the conference office. Do you remember? Man, those were the good old days. Do you see that they're gone now? Oh, we've heard about this. You're not Adventist anymore. Who cut them down? I was in Rite Aid on the corner here a few weeks ago, and um, Someone recognized me, not a church member, but she said, you go to that church on the corner, don't you? I said, I do, I do. So you're an Adventist, yeah. But you eat meat now, right? Because all the Adventists eat meat now. <laughs> We're not even Adventists anymore. They took our angels, they gave us meat. When we were considering the name of this sermon series, when I was considering it in the middle of the summer, doing a lot of reading, maybe a little sleep deprived, the first draft of a sermon series title, instead of tell a better story, I mean it doesn't matter what color you put it on, what font you use, Jeff tried everything for us, Adventist sorta. I mean, can you imagine people getting a hold of that, what fun people would have with that on cyber world? Yeah, those last year are Adventists, they're Adventist sorta. That's even the font from the Adventist Review right there. So my husband said, what were you thinking? Ad take it off the screen, please. <laughs> <laughs> what 
what were you thinking? And I said, I was thinking that that's kind of how some of us feel. We're Adventist sorta. And is it apathy? Is it that they took our angels? Is it that we're, we're not Adventist enough anymore? We're not distinct enough? Is it we can't tell we belong to the remnant? If I don't know I belong, what are we doing? We're like every other church in the Inland Empire. Sorta Adventist. That's what I was thinking. Tell a better story then. How do we get clearer on the story we want to tell? Last week, if you listened to Ray, when she rattled off with such ease, very distinct ideas that have taught us so much. Not because it makes us right, but because it transforms us from the inside out. She named the Sabbath and the second coming. And she named this idea that Christ is ministering on our behalf. And she named the idea that we don't believe God burns people forever and ever. It just flowed out of her so easily last weekend. Tell a better story. What's the better Adventist story? So I want to ask you if you think Revelation is non-negotiable for the better story we need to tell. Is it non-negotiable for you? Or maybe this question, what are the passages of scripture that have actually shaped you and grounded you? What are the non-negotiables for your life? What are the passages you reach for that you recite to your children? What rolls off of your tongue, just like Javier's song rolls off of his tongue? Get your phones again, here's our second poll. What scripture, same website, same code, new question, what scripture has been key to your journey, La Sierra? And this time you can put in whatever scripture it is and we'll see built right in front of us a word cloud. We'll see what passages of scripture become most dominant for us as a collective group. What passages of scripture, now watch. Proverbs and Philippians and Micah and Corinthians, the largest font is the most frequently cited passage. Hebrews, Psalm 91, Genesis 1-1, Matthew 6-23, Isaiah chapter 40, all of it. Ephesians chapter 6, Esther 4-14, must be for such a time as this. What passages have been key to your journey thus far. And look at them go and go and go. I'm gonna pause for a minute, just a moment. This is what doesn't surprise me. We have a church family Bible. We bring it out every four days with Jesus and we set it here in the sanctuary and in the afternoon when people wander through, they're invited to write their name by their favorite Bible passage. What do you think is the one passage that represents our church community the most clearly, has the most names written by it, year after year after year with the church family Bible laid out? What do you think is our text? Would you think it's Revelation? It is actually Jeremiah 29, 11. If you know it, say it, for I know the plans you have for you. Plans for prosperity. That passage has more names than any other text for the La Sierra community. Now is that an Adventist passage? 
Can someone tell me? Does that make us Adventist? Is that Adventist enough for the future? Does that help us tell our story a little better? I I don't have an answer. I only want to ask the question. If Revelation 14 hasn't been the passage that's been shaping us on our journey, what has and what ought to be shaping us in our future? I'm suggesting today that our earliest mothers and fathers in our faith tradition were not wrong to reach for the book of Revelation. Here's why I think that they were not wrong, because Revelation shouts loud and clear that we are in over our heads, that we have a problem we cannot solve. Revelation shouts with a trinity of evil. By the time we get to chapter 14, the, the, the dragon has called for his colleagues and there's a trinity of evil unleashed on the world and we are in trouble and we need a savior. The book of Revelation, it may actually be one of the better ways to tell the story, not because beasts motivate people, no, not because fear does either, but because Revelation puts on display the seriousness of evil loose in God's world and the the weight of all of it. It's our good friend, Dr. Kendra, who tells us, Revelation, no one ever says at the end of Revelation, "I, I don't know, the beast is not so bad. Revelation forces us to choose. You can't sit on a fence once you've read this vision. There is no fence sitting. So if I were to pick a passage for our future to tell a better story that represents the Adventist Christianity that I imagine in the future, instead of going to Revelation 14, I might go to Revelation 12, 17. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to make war. And those who keep God's commandments to make war on her children and all those who keep God's commandments. I might make that shift. Why? Because that does not put me in the middle of the story. That puts the gravity of the trouble in God's world in the middle of the story. That gets me out of the middle of the story. And whatever we're going to do in the future, I think I have to get out of the middle of the story. So um, hear me clearly. Because I think I'll be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian until I die. All right? Please hear me clearly. Maybe this is the pivot for the future. That we read Revelation, but that we read it understanding this is God's story and the accusation has been about God. This is not about me being a peculiar little girl in God's story. This is about God. Maybe by Revelation 12, I would then reach for Revelation 4 and 5. Now there, those passages speak of God. Revelation 4 is that throne room scene where they throw down their crowns before the one seated on the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things. It's by your will, God, that they existed and were created. And if you flip over to the next page, you see there's one like a wounded lamb that's also in the midst with God and the four living creatures among the elders, we see this lamb standing if had been slain. There is the wounded lamb that is the Jesus of the cross. I looked and I heard a sound of many angels surrounding the throne, the living creatures and the elders. They numbered the millions, thousands upon thousands, they said in a loud voice, worthy as the slaughtered lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means there's no one else who's not in this moment. I heard everyone say blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne to the lamb forever and always. The four living creatures said amen. The elders fell down and they worshiped. I think it's a positive impulse to reach for the last letter of the Bible as we think about the future of our story. And then I can't end without saying to you, whatever we are teaching and preaching week after week after week, it probably falls into this grand story. When people say to me, you don't preach Revelation 14, I say, no friend, we talk about it every Sabbath we gather. There is evil in God's world. We are in over our heads. We need a savior. And there is one. God is faithful. I need not be frantic. And with that in mind, it means Adventist Christians then could be thinking about every trauma in the world that looks like evil. Tomorrow is called Stand Up Sunday in our country. Many Christian churches will be standing up for foster youth. They'll be taking a turn all around, Christians all around the country, standing up for foster youth. We have, we have more than 5,300 foster youth in Riverside County in the system today, under the age of 18. And you ask yourself, what ought we care about for the future? Well, if Revelation is the storyline, if that's the big story arc, caring for the foster youth, is that a big enough Adventist thing to do? I don't know. Is it a big enough thing to think about, the creation and the care of the, the, care of the earth that God created that's mentioned in the letter? Is that big enough for us to be working on? Is it right and proper to be to be thinking about, I don't know, chapel this week, we had a presentation to the students. A criminal justice professor called out hate in our world and suggested that's an appropriate use of our energy to solve the problem of hate in our world. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This story eventually ends. I'd like to keep Revelation, if that's all right with you. I'd like to keep it, and I'd like to work on it together. And let's see what good God can do when we're faithful to putting Jesus in the middle of our story. Amen.